0: Welcome to episode eight of Geekdom with the Single Dad. I'm your host, Tony Shea, and it's been a long time, hasn't it? It's been well over a month since I did my last episode, and uh, I tried to give you guys a little bit of an explanation on my website, geeksingledad.com. Go to it if you haven't already. Uh, it's very pretty. That's the least I can say about it. Um, I've made a post a little while ago on geeksingledad.com uh, letting you guys know that I am going to be moving. And I'm going to be in the middle of packing up my house and, you know, getting everything ready to go and moving uh, to a town about 20 miles away from where I live right now. And uh, that's why I am going to be going on hiatus, which is partially true. Um, I did end up, um, you know, starting packing and getting everything moved to my garage and storage and everything and getting the house basically ready to go uh, on the market to sell. But as it turns out, this whole process is taking a hell of a lot longer than I anticipated. And um, as it stands, I uh, it's what mid-November right now. And originally, when I made my post saying that I was going on hiatus, I assumed I was already going to have the house, you know, at least listed or sold or at least have a couple offers in. But um, turns out that the holiday time is a really bad time to list your home. Uh, everybody's, you know, enjoying holiday merriment, not really caring about, uh, buying a new home. Uh, springtime is apparently the better time to do it. So we're, uh, I mean, we're not going to wait necessarily all the way till the spring to sell the house, but we're also not wanting to do it over, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas either. So long story short, we decided to do a, uh, quick aggressive sale between the holidays, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, if if no one bites, We're going to pull the listing and continue after the new year, which kind of sucks because I'm ready to get out of here. Yeah, I mean, I already have an apartment found uh, in my new town. I'm ready to get my stuff going. But, you know, I can't move into the new apartment and pay half my mortgage here. So Uh, we're kind of just in a state of limbo as it stands. The house does look nice. It's all cleaned up. Um, Almost everything's packed up. We had a garage sale and sold a whole bunch of shit we didn't want. And, uh, it's basically ready to go. We just need to get some, uh, we just need to get some, um, sorry, my phone just went off. We just need to get some flooring replaced and then, uh, house can go on the market. So enough of that boring stuff. Uh, again, I'm sorry. I, uh, it's been what, like a month and a half, almost month and two weeks. month. And, well, that is a month and a half. It's been a while since I made an episode and, uh, I do apologize. I, didn't mean to go on hiatus for this long, and as it stands now with my confusion over when the house is going to be listed and when I'm moving and all that, uh, I don't know how consistent I'm going to be in putting episodes out. I'm going to try my best. If I have any time, I'm going to try my best because I love doing this, and this is a lot of fun. So anyways, so uh, what should we talk about this time? We have quite a bit to catch up on since the last episode. Episode seven. Um, a lot of stuff that I'm going to talk about today is already well outdated. Um, reviews have already come in for a variety of games and shows and events, things of that nature. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways, because why not? You know, we're all here to chit chat. It doesn't have to be stuff that's hard hitting news right now. I mean, that's not really what this podcast is all about. If you want the latest and greatest and some, you know, wealth-formed thoughts about all those sort of things, you know, go check out podcasts like What's Good Games or whatever. You know, that's, you know, we're just here to talk. We're just here to talk about interesting stuff. So uh, let's start off with a little bit of television, shall we? Now, the last time we had an episode, I don't believe AEW Wrestling's uh, weekend, weekend, weekly Wednesday show Dynamite had debuted yet. And since then, we're what, like five or six episodes in now? Gosh, it really has been that long, huh? So, anyways, AEW Wednesday Dynamite, how is it? Well, they're definitely, how do I put this? I love it. Let's just start it off right there. I love all the performers. I love AEW's vision, I love their style. I love that there's another wrestling company that I can watch now in addition to the WWE. Because let's be honest, WWE has gotten kind of stale. I know a lot of people are loyalists. You know what? I am too. I've been watching WWE for decades and, you know, it's I'm a loyalist. So I get it. But no one can tell me that the current Raw and SmackDown product is cutting edge and, you know, even interesting for that matter it's just not they're going by the numbers they know they have no competition and it's just it's not exciting anymore now NXT is a different story NXT does not seem to have Vince McMahon's fingerprints all over it and as a result it's a much more exciting and fresh show with a lot of new younger talent and that's really awesome and that's why NXT moved to uh, USA on Wednesdays to go head to head with AEW. And like I mentioned in the last episode, if anyone was going to compete with AEW, it had to be something along the lines of an NXT. Raw and SmackDown wouldn't—it it just wouldn't have worked. They're completely different entities. They do completely different things. Raw and SmackDown are your weekly soap operas, and the sh- the amount of wrestling in those two shows is, is minimal. I mean, the wrestling is secondary to storylines. I mean, just look at the Bobby Lashley, Lana Rusev bullshit that's going on right now. I don't know of too many people that like that storyline. It's pretty shitty. And the WWE just keeps pushing it. So, I mean, what can you do when you have a company that is, that is for lack of a better term, that stubborn in pushing a vision that, you know... They're going to push whether or not the audience wants it, right? That's what WWE is. But, you know, this is not a shit on WWE segment. Um, AEW Dynamite, so awesome, so fresh, such good wrestling. The technical skills of these wrestlers is insane. I mean, it's not anything new. It's the type of stuff you'll see in Ring of Honor and uh, PWG and, you know, New Japan and whatnot. Basically, even NXT, I dare say. But just to see it on a weekly show like that is really cool. And so many of these guys, you know, so many of these younger guys, guys, like guys, like jungle boy guys, like, you know, uh, the tag team private party guys like hangman, Adam page guys, like, you know, MJF who finally turned heel. We'll get to that in a little bit. Well, he always was a heel, but he finally turned on Cody. Um, guys like Sammy Guevara, I know a lot of people don't like him in his stupid tongue thing, but whatever, you know, he's incredibly talented, guys like the Young Bucks, guys like Pac, guys like Sean Spears, I mean, these guys are not household names, but the, the skill they have can pretty much knock any Roman Reigns and, you know, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here, we'll just use Bobby Lashley and any Roman Reigns or Bobby Lashley or, my God, Tyson Fury, that guy can't just, I know why they used him. He's a big boxing name. But did you see that punch he threw where he missed his target by like half a mile? Worst working punch I've ever seen. But anyways, seeing a cast of young guys like that being led by guys like, you know, Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega is young-ish. He's, you know, but he's been doing it for a while. So I consider him a vet as well. Uh, that's like Dustin Rhodes, Tully Blanchard's there to lead Sean Spears. He's his manager. I mean, it's, it's, it feels very, and I hate to say this because I hate the comparison, but it's so hard to not bring up the comparisons, but it feels so much like WCW Monday Nitro back in its heyday when it was awesome. Uh, between let's say 96 and 98, it feels like WCW Nitro 96, 98 and it's that's a good feeling because wcw because wcw nitro was one of my favorite it's it still is it it was such a good show it had its ridiculousness as did monday night raw during the attitude era i mean anyone who can look at the wwe's attitude era and tell me it was only ever good and it didn't have its fair share of bullshit is lying to themselves both shows had their ups and both shows had their downs and so far I'm getting that same feeling. Now, I'm not saying I'm getting the same feeling of a Monday night or Wednesday night war. There's no war. Okay. So far, AEW has had far more viewers than NXT. And no one really cares. Let's be completely honest. This whole television viewership thing and the war of the numbers and everything is a bygone thing. I mean, it was a big thing when cable was, you know, in its prime in the 90s and everything, but we're talking an entire world of streaming now and where more people than ever are cutting the cord. So the numbers are cool to see, and it's nice to create a fictional, you know, head to head AEW war versus, you know, WWE. It's fun to do that, but I just don't think it matters anymore. Not in today's day and age, but yeah, AEW has been pulling in some pretty good numbers. Um, nothing outrageous nothing crazy and it truth be told their viewership has been going down week to week and then it kind of bumped up again this last episode but you know it, it's garnering interest and I like to see that um what do I want to talk about as far as the past few episodes of AEW go uh it was really cool when Jon Moxley showed up and DDT'd Kenny Omega through that glass uh that glass coffee table and that was kind of fun I loved seeing Pac on commentary, and oh, while we're on the subject of commentary, how great is it to hear Tony Schiavone again? I mean, I don't want to say the guy was the voice of my childhood. He wasn't. I loved Nitro, but I watched Raw more. You know, that's just the truth. I, You know, it is what it is. So JR was the voice of my childhood, and whoop-de-doo, check it out. JR's here, too. The announcing team is so good on AEW Dynamite. We have good old JR Jim Ross. Okay, we have Tony Schiavone, a voice that I've missed so much. Even if he wasn't the quote unquote official voice of my childhood, the guy's voice defined WCW. And I love hearing him back. And maybe that's why uh, Dynamite feels like such a WCW type thing, because Schiavone's there. But whatever, you know, he's there. It's awesome. And Excalibur. Now, I wasn't super familiar with Excalibur going into AEW. I knew of him from PWG but I just wasn't as familiar with him as other announcers and Excalibur is just this mountain, this wealth of knowledge and having him there in this three-man booth which typically doesn't work as well as a two-man booth but having Excalibur there with JR and Shivani wow I mean this is this is a strong announcing trio and I'm really glad they I'm really glad this is what they chose to do so yeah, so that's enough about AEW Dynamite. It's a really good show. It's on Wednesday nights on TNT. If you're at all a wrestling fan, go check it out. I mean, this is this is wrestling with a minimal focus on soap opera-y storylines. If you're into the soap opera-y storylines, more power to you. Go on with your bad self. Go watch WWE. That's fine. No one cares. No one's judging you for that. It's not it's not bad or good. It just is. Some people like different things. Some people like to watch the actual wrestling part. Some people like the actual storylines. Some people like both. It is what it is. So a little something for everyone now, now that there's a little bit of competition in the wrestling world. So while I'm on the topic of wrestling, however, I want to talk about this mobile game that I've been playing for a really long time. Um, well, really long time, as in like the past two, three months. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Oof, my voice. I heard about it on one of Conrad Thompson's wrestling podcasts. I want to say I heard it on an episode of 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Could be wrong. Could have been an episode of What Happened When with Tony Giovanni. Could have been on an episode of Something to Wrestle with uh, Bruce Pritchard. I don't know. I forgot which one. Regardless, Conrad, thank you for uh, suggesting this game because it has... I don't want to say it has taken over my life. It hasn't. But it has taken over every single one of my work breaks and lunch breaks. And anytime I'm sitting around at like the car dealership or something waiting, this is is my go-to game. So, 80s Mania Wrestling. What is it? Well, to start off with, and don't let this turn you off because this isn't my genre either. And I was initially turned off. But give the game a chance and you won't regret it. 80s Mania Wrestling is a card collecting game. So what it is, is it's got, you know, it's got a, uh, it will obviously based off of the name, it takes place during the 80s and also the 90s. Don't let the name fool you. you. You can go all the way into the 90s too. And what you are is the owner of your own federation. You own it. You're the booker. You, you know, you have to deal with, uh, you know, sponsors. You have a budget to work with. You have to uh, book arenas, television every week, pay-per-views um all these sort of things are under your control it's <clears throat> it's really really awesome and what you do is you compile a roster of wrestlers of uh match types of managers of sponsors of arenas and you compile or a collection of all these cards you know and these wrestlers are so clever they're they're rip-offs of wrestlers you know. Now obviously this game is not um, affiliated with WWE or the old you know, WCW or NWA or any of that, so they have to make up you know, fake characters that you might, wink wink, recognize. For instance, Dude Rohan, okay? Dude Brohan is my world champion right now. He is a how shall I put this delicately? He is a very tall ah. Uh, muscle-bound, blonde, with a blonde goatee and a bandana and 24-inch pythons, brother. You, you get what I'm saying? And he's very clearly Hulk Hogan, but he's Dude Brohan. And his mannerisms are all Hulk Hogan's, and his finisher is, I think it's called, like, the Dude Leg Drop or something, so it's clearly Hulk Hogan. And then you have a guy like... Um, Let's see. My television champion right now is Arizona Chance. Basically, he's an Indiana Jones ripoff. Take one look at him, and you know he's Indiana Jones. Um, his manager is Mister Bonsai, basically Mister Fuji. Uh, who else? Oh, dude, bro, hands. Uh, arch nemesis in my federation is Mister Jet Mister Jet Set Strutter. Basically, a carbon copy ripoff of Ric Flair. Okay, so it's not just wrestlers that they rip off of, and I'm using the term ripoff with love. I'm not accusing them of you know being copycats or anything like that. These are homages, but I just for some reason I use the term ripoff. I um, mean, you also have a female wrestler named Aurora who's very clearly uh, a ripoff of Shira from the eighties cartoon. And what else? Oh you have the Van Winkle family, Devin Van Winkle, Terry Van Winkle. These are the uh, von Ericks. Uh, an analog for the Von And Let's see. I think, oh, there's a Teen Wolf ripoff. There's an Elvis ripoff. There's a, uh, there's even one character named Zen, who is basically an homage to Link from the Legend of Zelda games. Just a, sup- a ton of fun. There's the Terminator. There's a couple robots. There's Starman from the uh, Nintendo, the original NES pro wrestling game. You remember Starman? You remember Pro Wrestling? That was, oh my goodness, I still play that game sometimes on my uh, emulators. So much fun. But yeah, that pink Starman guy with... That song playing when you... Oh, so much fun. But anyways, so what you do is you collect these cards, you form your federation, your roster, and every week, um, you know, for your television shows, you have three television shows per week. You have one Now You Know free week, and then... For your uh, final week in the month, you have a pay-per-view. And basically, it gives you a list of match types or, you know, like a one-on-one or a tag or a championship map or a ladies match, whatever. And you can play your cards to make variants of the match. Like if you have the submission match card, it'll cost you, let's say, 100 bucks to do a submission, you know, to change the championship match into a submission match from a regular match. So you can do that, you can do interview segments, Um, it's all under your control, you're the booker, you make the decisions. Now if you book the same match over and over, the game will tell you, hey, the fans just saw this match two weeks in a row, they're starting to get angry about it, if you choose to book it again, you're going to make less, so there's that. Now, people are going to wonder, what about microtransactions, and sure, there are microtransactions, but they're they're not in your face and gross like a lot of other games. The microtransactions are basically just to purchase tokens. And what you do is you convert the tokens into in-game money, which then you use to buy card packs. They're not really packs per se. You're really just buying a card. Um, You'll have packs like the upper mid card pack, the main eventer pack, the legendary pack. But within the pack, you're only going to get one card. So go into the game understanding that you're not getting like a pack of three or a pack of five. Um, and then you have a daily um, a daily thing of cards that you can buy individually um, that refreshes every day. So um, anyways, so there is that. but you do earn in-game money based off of the shows you put on, your weekly television shows and your pay per view, So you can earn the money regularly, and it's not the sort of disgusting thing where they make you earn the money so slow that there's no way to play the game unless you buy a token. It's not like that. You, the more shows you put on, the more popularity your federation gets, the bigger venues you'll be able to hold your shows in. And the bigger venues mean a bigger gate, which means you make more money. So and so forth. Just like real life, basically. So, um, so um, yeah. So you don't have to spend money. But if you choose to, it's not super expensive. One token is 99 cents. And the one token translates into $100,000 of in-game cash. And $100,000 will get you a bunch of cards. So it's not like a blatant money grab. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. But if you're any fan, if you are the type of person that's always... That watches WWE, and you go, oh, I could have done better, I could have booked that better. And you're that Monday morning armchair quarterback booker type guy. This is the game for you because this allows you to put your money where your mouth is and run your own damn federation. And it is a blast. Now, uh, that was a mobile game, so I guess we're uh into the games now. So, before I talk about the games I've been playing, um. Let me give you an update on my Joy-Con repair. Now, in the last episode I talked about how Nintendo was really cool in terms of uh you know, if you have the Joy-Con issues, they're going to send you the they're going to send you a uh, shipping label and have you send it back and everything like that. And I was like, "Okay, that's great. That's really cool of Nintendo to do that." You know, they recognize the problem with the Joy-Cons and they'll pay for the shipping there. And if you remember, my complaint was, well, the shipping wasn't overnight, so it was two to three days right there just to get the product to Nintendo. And the repair process, according to the website, said nine to 11 days. So right there, I'm out two weeks with a a Nintendo Switch that doesn't work since I don't have a pro controller. And then um, I said, well, I can only assume the shipping back to me was also going to be you know like a two to three day deal well turns out they overnighted it to me so that was really cool of them and um all in all i was out approximately two weeks but i got my joy cons back and they've been working fine they've been great i haven't had any issues um i ended up um you know playing a link to the past and i ended up buying the witcher the witcher 3 on switch which by the way let's talk about that right now um so yeah long story short my joy cons work great Now, and I don't have any drifting issues. The Witcher 3. I see a lot of people online going, well, I already have The Witcher, and I have it on PC because I'm PC Master Race. Suck it, PC Master Race. And then there are people on, like, you know, PS4 and Xbox One who have already had it. I mean, they bought it when it came out, and they have all the DLC and all that. So they're wondering to themselves, well, why would I get it on Switch? And the honest answer to that that is you're not going to get it on Switch. There's no reason for you to get it on Switch. Why would you get it on Switch? You already have it. You've probably already beaten it. You've probably played through all the DLC episodes. No. you. If you own The Witcher 3 in any capacity and you've already completed it and you've basically 100%ed it, then no. There is absolutely no reason for you to buy The Witcher 3 on Switch. Unless you love the game and the franchise so much that you would not mind playing through everything once more. On the go. That's your reason to buy it. Now, the other reason to buy it is if you have never played The Witcher 3, obviously, and you own a Switch, and you're thinking to yourself, well, this is my chance to play The Witcher 3 and have it have a full Witcher 3 experience on the go. Now, the -the on-the-go thing you have to take with a grain of salt. On the go with a Nintendo Switch means not a lot of playtime, because we all know the Switch's battery is not great, and I don't have the new redesign—not redesign— the newer Switch SKU with the better battery. I've never tried that. Um, From what I understand, it's, you know, better, but you're still not, you know, if I'm flying from here to Italy, it's, I'm certainly not playing Witcher 3 the whole time. Let's put it that way. Um, As expected with a game as demanding as the Witcher 3, it's going to suck your Switch's battery like you wouldn't believe. It's kind of like playing Breath of of the Wild or, uh, you know, Marvel Ultimate Alliance was also a battery suck. There it's gonna kill your battery dead really fast. I think uh let's see, when I first rebought the Witcher 3 on Switch, because I never finished The Witcher 3. I I put a ton of hours into it, but I never completed it. And it's been so long since I've played it that I completely forgot how to play it. So I might as well start from scratch on the Switch, which is exactly what I did. So, anyways, um my first night after I purchased it, I think I played Shoot, let me think. I played in bed, uh, with the sound down all the way, and with my brightness all the way down, and it still only lasted me three to four hours because the game is just so graphically demanding; it just completely sucked my battery dry. So, don't expect to get a whole ton of playtime out of your Switch um, if you're, you know, specifically wanting to play The Witcher in uh, handheld mode. It's not gonna last. With that being said. The game plays exactly like it should, and it's not great with the Joy-Cons. I mean, the Joy-Cons just don't have a lot of give or anything. So if you're going to play The Witcher 3 on Switch, the Pro Controller is really the way to go, which then defeats the purpose of having it on the go. Because you can't really play. I mean, sure, you can buy a variety of stands and stuff and play with the Pro Controller, but it's just not the same as having it all in handheld mode, right? Uh, The game itself looks gorgeous for a Switch game now. Obviously, the graphics are not going to hold up to your PS4 or your Xbox One or your PC Master Race versions. Um, They're just not going to look as good. And I don't think anyone is under the impression that it's going to look as good. We all know it's going to be, you know, it's running on the Switch. It's only going to look as good as the Switch is going to allow it to look. Um, With that being said, it looks fine. For a Switch game, you kind of squint and just don't worry about it too much it's about as good as any other game that you can find on switch. It looks fine. It, no, it's not your 4k HDR glory that you'll find elsewhere, but go one tier down. And that's about what the switch version looks like. So this is your witcher three. I mean, it doesn't look as good, big deal, but take it on the go for a short amount of time and play it, you know, while you're shit. I don't know on the bus or on the subway or something. Um, yeah, I think if you if you love the Witcher franchise and you just absolutely have to play it again on the go, buy it. If you're someone who has never played it before and you find yourself with a Switch, buy it. It's a great game. I mean, I'm not going to review it right now. It's already been talked to death about. It's a great game. All right, moving along. The Outer Worlds. Um, A lot has been said about The Outer Worlds already, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. And I think I read one comment on Reddit. I want to say it was Reddit. It could have been somewhere else. I apologize. And I also don't remember who said it. So I'm sorry about that as well. But I read one comment that basically describes The Outer Worlds to a T. And the comment, and I'm paraphrasing here, went something like this. The guy said, The Outer Worlds basically outfallouted Fallout. It's a better Fallout than Fallout ever was. That's exactly how I would describe it. I would describe The Outer World as Fallout with the ability to go to different planets, so different biomes, so your environments all look different and great. Uh, so it's Fallout with the ability to travel to different planets. It's a more colorful Fallout, okay? It's Fallout going back to the glory days of when uh, Obsidian did New Vegas, so you have all those great dialogue options instead of just yes or no or maybe. So um so it's all it's 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 basically it's basically Fallout that you would want um, if Obsidian stuck with the franchise moving forward from New Vegas. I don't know if that made sense. I kind of just blabbered there. But but it's a lot of fun. And you're going to jump into it and immediately be like, yes, this feels so familiar. It's got a little bit of a Mass Effect-ish type uh, flair to it because you're flying around from planet to planet on your ship. And then every time you, you know disembark from your ship to go on missions, you'll have to pick your crew. So it's very similar to that. You you know, you build up, you collect, for lack of a better term, it's like human Pokemon. You collect characters along your way that join you on your ship. And, uh, you know, when you go to different planets for missions, you can select who you want to come with you. So in that sense, it's very Mass Effect-ish. And um, it's not... So Obsidian did a very clever thing, I think, in Outer Worlds, um, the Outer world is not an open-world game. However, the way the levels are designed, it's designed well enough to trick you into thinking you're in an open world. Um, you, you know, have multiple quests going on at once, so you can choose to tackle those uh, in any, any order that you want. You know, you can just mainline in and do the main quest all the way through, or you can spend some time on side quests and do whatever, so with that kind of freedom, it gives you the impression that, hey, this is an open world game because I can you know tackle the story uh, in whatever order I choose. Um, truth be told, the missions are all fairly linear. Um, you know, you're going to get a mission to go from point A to point B and find out if someone is still alive, for instance, or you're going to have your fetch quest or whatnot. And you're going to be going from point A to point B now. As you go from point A to point B, it's not so linear that you're basically just walking on rails, for instance. I mean, the the world between point A and point B is made in such a way that it looks open world. You can veer off the path. You can go exploring little caves that you find. You know, you might run into a character that's sitting down, you know, injured and you need to help him or her and so on and so forth. So it feels like an open world. But if you back off a little bit and look at the actual map itself, it, it's all kind of directing you from one direction to another. It's just not as anal about keeping you, quote, on the path from point A to point B. Does that make sense? Um, I don't know if I explained it well, but so long story short, the Outer World is a very linear game. Each level has its linear path, but it's disguised, the linearity is disguised under the under the, uh, how do I want to put this? Under the, I can't think of the word. It's disguised as an open world level when it's not. And as long as you're not going out of your way to prove that this is a linear level, as long as you're not an asshole like that, the game will feel like an open world Fallout game. Hey there, everyone. It's Tony Shea, the host and creator of Two Speak Geek. And I want to take a moment here to tell you guys about Anchor.fm, which is the easiest way to record a podcast or host a podcast for that matter. Uh, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast like I just said. Let me explain. First and foremost, it is free. doesn't cost a penny to get started. You just, you know, sign up for an account, do your thing, record it, and it's hosted for you. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So if you're out and about, just do it on your iPad, your tablet, your phone, whatever. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on you know, popular sites such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and many, many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So that's kind of a big one. You don't need any min- minimum listenership to get started with some sponsorships. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place, one app. If that sounds interesting, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. It's great. I'm still playing it to this day. I don't have a ton of time to play it every day, so uh, I wish I could blow through it in one or two sittings and um, just complete the game. But I can't, so... But, thumbs up from me. Uh, Next, I want to talk about Grid. Now... The very second episode of Geekdom with the Single Dad, I uh, talked about the Grid announcement. I believe that's when they announced the game at first. And I was like, yay, Grid's back, because I really like Grid. I really like Codemasters racing games. Um, I'm a big racing game guy. In fact, I would go so far as to say racers are my favorite genre. Um, I'll take a good RPG any day, obviously. I've played a whole ton of them, and they're, I would also argue, one of my, if not my favorite genre. But racing games, forget about it. I will play them. And what I love about racing games is a variety. You have your games like, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, like uh, let's say Need for Speed Most Wanted, okay? You have games like that that are just strict arcade racer mayhem, like your Burnout Paradise type game. And um, Dan Grenowalt, the uh, Forza Forza franchise honcho, once told me that he sees arcade games like Burnout and uh, Need for Speeds like first-person shooters, but with cars. You know, you go in, what do you do in first person shooters? You go in, you shoot people, you do your mission, you collect a gun, you know, you collect a better gun, you dispose of your first gun, you collect another gun, more powerful gun, you get rid of the gun before. So that's kind of like what need for speed is, you know, you go in, you start off with your clunky, I don't know, RX seven, your Mazda RX seven. And then you win races, you earn enough money, you upgrade to, I don't know, an Aston Martin. You win more races with that, you upgrade to your Ferraris, and so on and so forth. So it's kinda like that. So If I'm in the mood for some mayhem, I will play something like that. And then you have the hardcore sim racers. Now, those really hardcore sim fanatics are going to shit all over me when I call Gran Turismo and Forza Motorsport sim racers because I've heard it all. I've been in the racing community for years. And the moment you call one of those games basically a console sim racer, the moment you call one of those console sim racers a sim racer, you're going to have your little idiots popping up that play iRacing and uh, Assetto Corsa and all those games and be like, those are not sim games. All oh, the physics on them are laughable. Uh, I would call Gran Turismo an arcade racer. <laughs> you have those idiots popping up, stroking themselves. But I'm calling them sim, okay, because that's as close as a sim as you can get on a console. I'm only talking about console races right now, so that's that. So then you have your sim games like Forza Motorsport and uh, the Gran Turismo series where you actually have to put a little bit of skill into your driving. You can't just hold down the accelerator trigger the whole time and hope for the best like you would in a burnout. You actually have to, you know, you actually have to know how to drive in order to do well in sim games, you you know. So, for example, you can't be braking in the middle of a turn. You're going to spin out. You know, when you come out of a corner and you're about to go on a straightaway and you start mashing the accelerator before you've straightened out your wheels, you're going to spin out. You know, a lot of games that focus more on the motorsport, if you start bumper carring all the opponents, you're going to get penalties. So that's my thing. I like sim racers. I like developing skills that I need to hone in order to become a good racer. And then there's the in-between. What um I don't know if this is an official name or not, but this is just what I've always heard it referred to as. You have your in-betweens, simcade. They're not as Mario Karty as arcade racers like Burnouts are, but they're also you also don't need to put as much skill into it as a sim racer. And a simcade game is where I would put the Grid series. Grid or, and not just the Grid series. I would say Codemasters uh, racing games in general. Your DIRTS, your uh, Formula One games, and your Grid games. Those are all, to me, Simcade made to perfection. Codemasters is the masters, no pun intended, at the Simcade racing game. Now, Grid kind of goes back to the first Grid. Um, the original Grid took a racing driver game. Um... It does away with all the fancy frills of grid two and none of the YouTube and game followers and all that type thing. Um, basically you're a racer and you're presented with a menu of different racing disciplines that you can participate in, such as, you know, touring car racing. Uh, you can do GT two. Fernando Alonso has his own kind of tier that you can go through that involves a lot of formula type racing. And then you're, you know, like showcase events where you race old minis through Havana and stuff like that. So, there's, so you know, it, it's very simple. You just race. Here, you what do you want to do? You want to have a touring car race? Go race. When you're done with that you want to switch over to one of Fernando Alonso's, I don't know, F3 races? Great. Go do a couple races there. It, it's not holding you to anything. There's no storyline involved. There's no – you just race – in whatever discipline you want to race. so far as cars go. Not even close to the car selection of a Gran Turismo or a Forza Motorsport. Because that's not what you're doing. You're not here to collect cars. It, this isn't car Pokemon. You don't have to collect them all. You get a handful of cars per discipline. And that's it. You pick one. You pick two that you like. Go at it. Upgrades. There are none. That's not what you're doing here too. Okay. You're This is just pure pick a car. Pick a race type and go race, because the racing itself is where this game is all about. Now, when I say this is a Simcade game in terms of car handling, I mean it. This is a Simcade game, okay? So, you do need skill. You can't just be mashing your uh, your uh accelerator the whole way, or you will spin out, like I mentioned earlier. But, the forgiveness is considerably higher than that of a Gran Turismo, or an iRacing, or a Forza even, you know? And... Obviously, there are sliders that you can you know, you know can use to turn, I don't know, like traction control on and off and things of that nature. So you can tweak the game to your liking and your skill level. But it's the perfect, I want to play a sim racer, but I don't want to have to concentrate too hard type of game. And the racing itself is very visceral. The AI is very smart. And you bump a guy too many times and they're going to become your rival. And they will come after your ass. Uh, my very first race, because um, because you can also give commands to your um, to your teammate. Now the commands aren't great. You can actually you basically just tell them to drive more aggressively or defend for you, and that's it. But it's nice to have, and it's nice to have your your uh, manager talking in your ear and stuff like that. So, but my very first race, I came out of a corner too fast, and accidentally sideswiped a guy, knocked him off the track. And he immediately got this red racing helmet icon above his car and it said, so-and-so is now your rival. And I was like, great. So I finished the race. There's always two races per race. So in the second race, I started off. I forgot that this guy was my rival. And I'm driving along my merry way. And this fucker comes up behind me and rams my ass right off the road. And I swear I heard him cackle. I know he didn't go, (laughs) but he might as well have. And that was really shitty, but at the same time, very cool that, um, you know, these rivals that you build up will fuck you up if you, you know, if you do the same to them. So, um, I did not buy the deluxe pack, so I didn't pay for all the seasons and everything. And I don't really know what the seasons involve. I assume just more cars and more events and that's it. So, so we'll see. But grid, um, if you're at all into Simcade racers, you know, like Drive Club or uh, what else is a good Simcade, you know, like um, like your Dirt games, not Dirt Rally, that I would consider a sim, but, you know, the older Dirt games like Dirt 3 and whatnot and your F1 games and uh, things like that, then, yeah, give Grid a shot. It's a lot of fun. Okay, and the final game I want to talk about today was a game that just came out this last week, Star Wars Fallen Jedi, and it's so much fun. I mean, I'm a Star Wars nerd, so it it was going to happen. I mean, this game was a buy first day it came out for me, and I'm really glad I did. And I'm really glad that we now have a Star Wars game that is just so unabashedly simple, a simple singer, singer, oh my god single player campaign and that's it there's the multiplayer there's the micro microtransactions. um I think there's one deluxe edition that's like an extra five bucks or something and all it is is it gets you a couple of cosmetic skins and that's it if you don't want it don't get it I didn't want the cosmetics I didn't get it you're gonna earn them all in game anyways so um it's just it's it's what games used to be don't you remember you went to well for me it was the warehouse in la where I grew up You you know, you went to the warehouse, you paid your 50 bucks or whatever, and you got a game, and it was a single-player game on a cartridge that you just played. And once it was over, it was over. And that's basically what this is. You go. You buy the game. It's this brilliant Star Wars single-player campaign that I absolutely love. I mean, the storyline is fantastic. And the graphics are so beautiful. Now, there are some facial uh, designs in some certain environments that look a little mannequin-y, I guess. But for the most part, the game looks absolutely gorgeous. And the combat itself feels very much like a Souls game, but like a very, very toned-down light version of the of a Souls game. So stuff like dodging and pairing are going to be very, very important. You can't just go in with your lightsaber swinging because each enemy has their own weaknesses and strengths. And, you know, if you're just going to button mash, you're probably, even on baby-ass baby mode, sorry, What's Good Games for borrowing that term, even if you're playing on that, if you're just gonna go in button mashing, you're gonna die because you know, that's just not how it works. So, you have your regular stormtroopers, you know, which you can button mash with. That's pretty easy, but you know, it's not as fun as deflecting blaster bolts back and doing all and you know, doing force push and all that. And then you have your scout troopers that can actually block your lightsaber attacks. And You know, just, like I said, it's like a Souls game, like a very light version of a Souls game. You gotta uh timing is important, parrying is important, dodging is important and you just figure out the patterns. Super easy. Um it's a very simple it's a very simple concept. You just basically go, you follow the story, you go from planet to planet to planet. Each planet has each each planet basically has its own big puzzle element that you got to solve in order to complete quote unquote the planet and get back to your ship and move on to the next planet. And right there is your gameplay loop. That's it. And it sounds simple. It sounds boring, but it's not. If you're any fan of star Wars. And when you hear the of a lightsaber turning on, you get goosebumps. Like I do, then this is going to be, this game is going to be worth it to you. It's just absolutely worth it. So, uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. There are far better impressions all around the internet from people who have actually completed the game. Um, I'm only a couple of days in, so I think I've only unlocked four planets so far. I don't know how many there are total, so, but uh, it's highly recommended for me, a diehard Star Wars fan. Now, while we're on the topic of Star Wars, I want to give uh, Disney Plus a little mention. Um, I'm su- I was super excited for Disney Plus. I mean, I had that thing prepaid the moment that you could start paying for it, and For the most part, it doesn't disappoint. My two kids love it. And right there, it's worth it to me. I mean, the fact that they can watch the shows that I grew up with, like Tailspin, Rescue Rangers, uh, Goof Troop, Darkwing Duck, the old X-Men animated series, um, My Guilty Pleasure, X-Men Evolution, the old Spider-Man from the 90s. All those types of shows, plus all their beloved Disney films, like Little Mermaid, Hercules, and all that sort of stuff. Right there, just for my kids, it's worth it. Totally worth it. For me, being such a comic book guy and a Star Wars guy, it's also worth it, even if it doesn't have everything. Now, you're going to go into this, and there's going to be a lot of stuff that you can select. For example, the movie Homeward Bound. Okay, You're going to select it. It's there. It's clearly going to be on Disney Plus at some point, but you're going to select it, and it's going to say, this title's not available until, I don't know, like May 2020 because of existing licensing. So... There's a ton of stuff that's currently on Netflix and Amazon Prime and whatever that uh, their deals haven't ended yet, so they can't be brought over to Disney+. Plus. And I get that. I understand. I'm not mad at Disney+, Plus for that. So, just if you're going to go into Disney+, Plus, understand that not literally everything is going to be there. There's some stuff that's got to wait until their licensing deals are over with whatever current streaming service they're on. And then they'll be brought over. And, you know, as with any streaming service, take DC Universe online, for example. It's going to start with a little bit of a hiccup, and then it'll just continue to improve as it moves on. Now, I know a lot of people are already bitching and complaining because, uh, for example, The Simpsons is being cropped weird. So a lot of stuff has been cropped out, a lot of stuff that's important to jokes. So that I understand. Ooh, that's, you know, maybe go back to the original four three format for some of the earlier seasons. I don't know, but cropping important stuff out of the visual is kind of not cool. Um, And then there are other complaints for, like, X-Men the Animated Series, where the episodes are shown out of order, and that's also kind of a problem. I don't have it, I don't, like, take the X-Men Animated Series, for example, I don't have it memorized, like, the episode order, so it doesn't really affect me. But a lot of people out there are diehard fans, and they have that stuff memorize they know exactly what episode comes next. And when it's all shuffled out of order, I can only imagine how annoying that is. So so I'm sure it's something Disney will fix. I don't have I don't I don't have any doubts about that. And other than those little niggles, the service is fantastic and almost I, I mean not almost everything, that's a lie. But so much stuff is presented in 4K HDR and it just looks so gorgeous. I mean, like the original three, the original trilogy in Star Wars, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Those are all presented in 4K HDR, and they look so fantastic. McClunky aside, they all look great. And this is the best Star Wars has ever looked, the original trilogy. So I think it's worth it. It's pretty cheap. I ended up doing the bundle for $13 a month with uh, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and uh, ESPN. And the ESPN app is pretty cool as well. I mean, I, you know... First of all, I love football, so right there I can get a bunch of college games on the weekends. I don't have cable, so I wasn't able to watch them uh, at all. But on top of that, you get all the episodes of 30 for 30, which is one of the best documentary series ever. And um, they used to be available on Netflix, but they're all gone now. So I'm glad I'm able to get them in some capacity on the ESPN app. So now anyways, yeah. So, uh, while talking about the Disney Plus app, I mentioned 4K HDR for a lot of the um, movies and stuff like that. And that's what I want to bring up the main focus of today's episode. Um, first of all, I want to say a big thank you to N- NVIDIA. Okay, they provided me with a review unit of the newest NVIDIA Shield Android TV unit or console, whatever you want to call it. Um, the one they provided me was the regular one, not the Pro. There are a bunch of huge differences between the two, which I will mention in a second. But um, they provided me with the new NVIDIA Shield, and um, I've got – and this is not me trying to brag. This is me just making a point. I have in my house every Shield device ever made, starting with the Shield handheld, moving on to the Shield tablet, then moving on to the first-generation Shield then the Shield refresh in 2017 where they shrunk it, and now this current Shield. So I have every Shield device, and I've been able to watch this Shield brand, the Shield franchise, this, this concept, this device, evolve from a handheld-type console streamer thing all the way to what it is now. And it's really quite amazing what NVIDIA has done. But the downside to their Shield devices has always been their price. You can get a Roku... Or, you know, like a Chromecast or an Amazon Prime, uh, or I'm sorry, an Amazon Fire Stick for like, I don't know, like 30 40 bucks. And then you move on to your premium streamers, like your Apple TVs and stuff. And those cost well into the hundreds. Now, Apple can get away with selling their shit for $200 or $150 because they're Apple. You know, people are sheep. They'll buy Apple anything. You, you put an Apple logo on a piece of shit and they'll buy it. And I say this as an Apple consumer myself. So just calm down. Now, NVIDIA will charge a premium price, 200, 140, whatever, for their uh, shield products. But as much as I love NVIDIA and my PC is outfitted with just NVIDIA shit all over the place, as much as I love NVIDIA, unfortunately, they don't have the name and brand recognition as an Apple. So people are going to look at these two products side by side and go, well, why am I paying the same for this when I can pay the same price for something I know? So, there's that. So, I always think that the Shield could have been an incredibly successful competitor, if not for the price. And here's the thing. The NVIDIA Shield is worth the price. It's absolutely worth the price. It's worth the 150 or 200 depending on whether you go regular or pro. It's worth it. Every single penny. It just doesn't have that... that logo of the Apple with the bite out of it. So immediately, it's it's fighting a losing battle right there. And right there, that shows you how strong branding is. Um, but anyways, so the NVIDIA Shield. So what's new with this 2019 model? Well, first off, the thing, the unit itself is very different. Now, the original Shields all came looking like a little micro console. They were, you know, rectangular. They had that little green, you know, what do you want to call it like a chevron swoosh thing across the front that lit up when you turned the device on and you know that was it you hit it behind your tv or to the side of your tv or whatever and it looked really nice it was a little black rectangular box thing the new nvidia uh, regular model the one that i got looks like it's a cylinder and i was really thrown off by it at first i was looking around going what the hell is this it's shaped as a cylinder it's approximately six to seven inches long Uh, about two and a half inches thick around. It it reminds me of like a, um, like a Bluetooth speaker, like a cylindrical Bluetooth speaker. That's exactly what it looks like. Okay. And on either end of the cylinder, you have your ports for like ethernet, uh, your HDMI, your power and so on and so forth. Now, because everything is shrunk down to this cylinder now, you're not getting a USB port, so you can't plug in expandable storage. And that is a bummer. It does look nice plugged in, you you know, you get everything plugged in and you have this little cylinder and you just tuck it under your TV and no one even knows it's there. It looks like a bigger PlayStation camera, you know, like not the old boxy one, like the new cylindrical one. And it looks nice. It looks out of the way. You don't really notice it, you know, and and I'll give NVIDIA props. It's quirky as hell. You know, if you actually pick it up and look at it and you're like, oh, this is a this is an Android TV. Yeah, it's, it's it's just it's kind of a conversation piece almost. Um, the other big design change is the remote. And thank fucking goodness NVIDIA did something about the remote. The original NVIDIA Shield remotes for both the uh, first Android TV Shield and the second one were these little tiny, flat, glossy, solid black remotes that were a little bit smaller than an Apple TV remote. And... They always got lost. They were being lost in the couch cushions. They were falling behind the TV. Just they were so easy to lose because they were so small. And it was annoying how small they were and how easy they got lost. Now, the new remote is actually a lot bulkier. It's um, bigger and it's this weird kind of pyramid shape. It's hard to describe. But, you know, when you hold it, it actually feels really nice. So it's bulkier, it's actually remote control sized, it's pyramid shaped, so when you grab it, there's no doubt what you're grabbing. It has actual physical buttons, it doesn't just have like little like a little touch pad or a slidey button thing like the Apple Remote does. Because I hate the Apple TV remote, that that, that touch swipes screen thing, pad thing. It's so annoying. Um, there's a dedicated Netflix button, which that was kind of cool. Um, because I do use Netflix a lot and uh the buttons light up the moment you pick up the remote so that's also kind of cool now the best thing about this other than the fact that it's bigger so it's less you're less likely to lose it is that if you do lose it you just you know you can use Alexa you can use Google Home you can use the Nvidia Shield app on your phone you just do the find remote function and your remote will start beeping and you just look for it and that's really cool so uh, aesthetics aside, uh, the verdict is I like it. Uh, let's go into the meat and bones of it. now, not a whole ton has changed. Um, the Nvidia shield does run off of Android TV so most of the changes you're gonna find are going to be Android based depending on what you know what version of Android they have pushed out. So the version of Android that's on the 2019 Nvidia shield is basically the one that I had on my old shield because I like to keep my shit updated uh, to the newest software. So it is what it is, you know. uh, The thing, I think the biggest software, uh, let's say, feature that the 2019 Shield offers is AI upscaling. Now, you're going to think to yourself, oh, big deal. My 4K smart TV does this already. It upscales, you know, old, eh, I don't know, like DVDs or 1080p shows on Netflix or whatever. It'll upscale it already. And sure, uh, I get it. It does. But not the way NVIDIA does it. Now, I don't know what kind of technical voodoo goes into NVIDIA's AI upscaling, but their upscaling looks so much more sharp and so much more natural than just your typical upscaling. Now, to prove their point, and I'm really, really glad NVIDIA did this, this was probably the smartest thing they could have done if they're going to be touting a new feature like AI upscaling. The smartest thing NVIDIA did was they included a feature where you can toggle a demo mode on or off. Now, how this works is uh, let's use the Office on Netflix, for example, okay? This is exactly what I used uh, for my example. I turn on the Office on Netflix. Now, the Office on Netflix is not 4K, okay? So it runs on 1080p. Pop it on. You uh, turn on AI upscaling, which is, I believe is on by default already. It's like one of the first three things in the settings menu when you go into it. Uh, You go down the menu, you turn on demo mode. Now, what happens is you're watching the office. Okay. You know, it's being upscaled now because the feature's on. And what you do is you push the menu button. If you turn on the demo mode, you push the menu button and it'll split the screen between original and upscaled. And you can slide, you know, the little slider thing over that you see on comparisons online. Just move it over, keep it in the middle, do whatever you want to do and it'll show you what the original 1080p looks like and what the now upscaled version looks like and as far as upscaling to 4k goes i'm going to go on record as to say or i'm ugh, i'm sorry i'm going to go on record and say that this is the best upscaling to 4k that i've ever seen now 9 times out of 10 if i'm watching something like the office for instance and I'm just watching it off of the app on my Samsung Smart TV and I know it's being upscaled to 4K. I don't really care. It's not something I notice. It's not something I care about. The show looks fine. You know, it's not like I'm watching an old VHS tape on a 65 inch 4K TV where you can tell this was from way back in the day and it's being stretched to an ungodly ratio. And the amount of noise is just obscene. It's not like that. So if I'm watching The Office just on my regular TV, it looks fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not going to pick it apart. But if I can see the AI upscaling quality side by side with what I was watching and what I was okay with before, it blows my mind. It looks like true 4K. It's not true 4K, but it looks like it. And NVIDIA did a really, really awesome thing there. And honestly, I just have it left on. I just want all my shit to look as good as it possibly can. You know, I have a big TV. I mean... I know some people have their 80 inches and bigger and whatnot and projections and everything. 65 is pretty big, especially considering how small the apartment I'm gonna be moving into is. So to me it's a pretty big TV. it's a good size. and I want everything to look as good as possible on it. So I'm leaving the upscaling on. and Nvidia, I think just between game stream where you can stream your PC games to the shield, between that and AI upscaling, you're going to have a customer in, in me for life. I love my Shield, and I've loved the Shield ever since the handheld days. I'm going to continue to love it if they keep making innovations. Well, I do know. Let's not call it an innovation. As they keep making improvements like this, you know, make my shit look as good as it possibly can on my TV. You've got yourself a loyal customer. Now, the downside. Controllers no longer come with the Shield, which is a big bummer because I remember when the first NVIDIA Shield TV... Android TV set top box thing launched. It was launched as a console first. I remember, I was there at GDC at the press conference, at the reveal. I was there. I was physically there. So I remember everything. They, you know, they were like, "Can it run Crisis? Yes, it can run Crisis 3." Look, I remember all that. It was being touted big time as a console first. We are now into the third generation of the Shield TV set top box, and clearly the console part, the gaming part, is being shoved to the background, because now your Shield TV doesn't even come with a controller. Now, controllers will work with it. Your DualShock 4 and your Xbox One controllers and pretty much any Bluetooth controller should work with it, and I did confirm with NVIDIA that any existing NVIDIA controllers from, like, the older Shield TVs will also work with the current Shield, so that's good. I mean, chances are you've Got a Bluetooth controller in some fashion lying around at home that you can connect to your NVIDIA and, you know, game stream games or play on GeForce Now, which is like they're kind of like their PlayStation Now. It's a streaming service. Uh, still in beta, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong there, but I've been using it for so long now um, that I kind of lost track of whether or not it's in beta or if it's officially launched yet. But anyways, so uh, so you're not getting a controller anymore. Kind of a bummer, but it is what it is. You know, I don't know of too many people that were that were buying a shield specifically for game stream and GeForce now anyways. So now I use it like crazy because I love being to sit on my couch and play my PC games on the TV. So, you know, but I believe I'm in the minority. What can you do? Right. And the other thing is there are two models of the shield. Now, the weird cylindrical one is just your regular shield model. And then you have your Shield Pro, which goes back to the kind of rectangular, um, the uh, what is it, rectangular shape with the you know the the chevron swoosh and all that. So there's that, and the Shield Pro is basically the exact same thing, but you do get a USB port and you get a little bit more RAM, and that's about it, and more storage if I recall. So uh, there's your difference between 150 and 200. You know, whichever one is more for you, go for it. Um, The regular cylindrical shield that I have works perfectly. And that AI upscaling is just insane. So anyways, I think that'll do it for uh, episode eight. I don't have an album of the week this week because (laughs) it's been so long since the last episode that I forgot that that was even a thing that I was doing and forgot to put it in my notes. So unless you want me to not put any thought into it and just pull it out of my ass, I don't have an album of the week for you. So I apologize for that. Um, I don't know when the next episode will be coming simply because I don't know how this moving thing is going to work. So I don't have a schedule. But I'm going to try my best to get one out in reasonable time. Okay. So fear not. Uh, once again, you can follow me on Twitter at ToneZone81. That's T-O-N-E-Z-O-N-E-8-1 on Twitter. And uh, check out my website. I'm going to have a more in-depth review of the NVIDIA Shield um, on the website as well. So check out the website, geeksingledad.com. Aren't you glad it's no longer that really fucked up URL that I used to have? Yeah, I finally got off my ass and bought my own domain and everything. So uh, it's easy now. geeksingledad.com. You can also follow me on Facebook at the Geekdom with the Single Dad uh, Facebook page. So just look that up and I should be there. Uh, once again, I'm Tony Shea, your host. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.